Ten minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to uh, Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And uh, joining me to take a look at uh, all of the, the big stories that are moving markets on this Tuesday is Makwe Masilela, who's the Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers. Makwe, what's it, Jay? me out you, is it? Ah, and good sweet, evening. Sweet, Makwe. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Makwe, I want us to maybe start off, uh, I guess, with... Um, yeah, all of the interesting insights that came through from uh, the presence of the DG and the Deputy Minister uh, before the Portfolio Committee on Finance uh, earlier on today. And um, one of those issues, of course, uh, relates to Mango, and uh, you can, uh, I guess, touch on that. But uh, the other is uh, the progress update we got on a state-owned bank. Uh, pro- you know what, it has long been overdue, and they've got their excuses that it's complicated, bank regulation, talking to other stakeholders, mm. and I think COVID as well is one of the reasons. But you know what? Those are the reasons that maybe you can give us for 2020, you know? But they seem to think that it has been passed, you know, how many years back, you know? More than 18 years back yeah. as a resolution, you know, that this thing has to happen. So you ask yourself, those other years, what was happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Because last year we could understand. And hey, Making regulations, these are the regulations made by you as the government. So you should be able, you know, to navigate quite quickly when it comes to those regulations as a government entity as well or as another government department. Mm. It shouldn't be an issue, you know. But hey, it is long being promised and we still wonder what it will happen and we hope maybe it will be one of those things that they see fit to deliver on mm. them because definitely we cannot just continue to operate in this country on the basis of commercial banks. Even if you look at what they call developmental banks, you know, they start operating like commercial banks, stuff that they ask you when you go and look for funding. It's like you're talking to some mm. commercial bank. But does that not have to do, Mark, with, I guess, where they get the money themselves? Um, I mean, I remember hearing, I think it was Patrick Glamini from uh, the DBSA who was saying, ah, you know, all of you make a big noise about wanting us, uh, you know, to uh, lend to uh, developmental projects or even, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, black industrialists, SMMEs and everybody. Uh, but uh, take a look at where we get the money. We also get the money in the wholesale capital markets and... Um, and I guess that then influences, uh, you know, how this is passed on. What, what's going to be different with this bank? No, but Patrick missing a point. Yes, we all go to the capital market. But you go to the capital market with a big brother being a, a guarantor, guaranteeing all this whole thing. Mm. It's different when compared to a commercial bank going to raise money out there backed by just depositors or private shareholders. Mm. So that should give them a form of confidence anyway. As a developmental bank, they can still go and issue bonds and raise that money in a very, very cheap way. As we've seen that there's been a huge uh, demand when it comes to our bonds. Remember, Treasury ended up issuing more bonds than required because the demand was there. And now at these low interest rate levels, this is the right time for people to raise capital. And obviously, capital that they know they'll be able to pay back. Hmm. It's, yeah. cheap, it's cheap. You get money cheap, but only if that money that you raise, there's a multiplier effect. You don't mm. just use it for immediate consumption. Sure. You'll sure. never get this opportunity again, or even go and renegotiate whatever debt you have so that you can get better, lower interest rates. Mm. Mm. 
And I guess, Mark, I mean, you know, there's also the question of what form this bank takes uh, in relation to some of the existing state-owned financial institutions. I mean, if you think about uh, the debates that have been around post-bank effectively uh, morphing into a state bank uh, alongside the likes of Itala Bank. And some people have even said if, if you really want a state bank for industrial purposes, then, then you might probably want to collapse all of the DFIs we have into one state industrial bank. Um, what, what, what's your view? I mean, and I asked that question, Marco, in the context of the kind of cutthroat competition that I see in the commercial sort of transactional retail banking. Um, and, and I think there's big questions around what offering would a state bank have that's different, aside from the fact that, you know, the state is, is probably in every part of this country in some shape or form. Transactional banking is going to be a big challenge for them because they have to compete on fees and also on service. Mm. And now that's going to be a big challenge for them. I'm not sure if that rule still applies, Ayabonga. But I remember back in the days, if you are working for Bank X, then you are compelled to bank with them. They pay your salary in that mm. particular account. And if that rule still exists, then already the state bank has immediately over a million customers because those public servants then will be forced, if that rule still applies, to end their salaries in that particular bank account. So that's transactional banking for them. Then we've got the good client base. But the most important thing as well is to make sure that we don't get a duplication because we don't want to go and ask for funding for small businesses or to find that you still have the likes of your NEF, the likes of other institutions trying to offer that, the likes of ITC, then it will be a duplication. So they have to make sure that this time around, whatever gets to be done, then they have to consolidate most of this institution mm. and have a good, solid bank. I think maybe if they follow what the Human Settlement Department tries doing, I'm not sure far how they are with that. They are trying to consolidate all this finance institution oh, relating to housing finance. into yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, that could be the, I guess, the, the sort of housing finance or mortgage division of the state bank because exactly. I mean, if we're able to work properly within the state and uh, within where different financial institutions sit, Mark, where then uh, I guess if you put it in that way, it becomes a very viable proposition. No, definitely. And the biggest question here is that we don't say fund people who don't come with decent business model. Mm. Don't fund people who are not going to be able to repay you. But the biggest issue with most of our people is collateral, but I we sure. don't have that. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, and I guess that's the foundation, man, of all capital raising. I mean, the, the ability to guarantee uh, if uh, all of the chips are down, that uh, at least there's something that uh, I guess the, the creditor can salvage there, which is uh, the big question mark. But that story is linked, Mark, way, to, to the next thing I want us to talk about, the post office. Uh, now, they're saying that uh, we are the only ones with a license for postal and allied services, if I can put it that way, um, for parcels under uh, the one kilogram mark. And uh, yeah, if this goes through effectively, all of the people who send parcels through the peps of the world and many of the other retailers and uh, using Postnet, it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I need to rephrase, to rephrase. Post office is not saying that it's a law. The law has no, no, to but, but Mark, it's their interpretation of the law because that's the contest, right? The, the, there's a clear dispute here because some of the other people that I've mentioned are saying we don't agree with that interpretation. And of course, ICASA backs the post office's interpretation. And ICASA is the yeah. custodian of that particular law. 
ICASA has to follow through to make sure that law gets to be implemented. Is that that post office has been sleeping? It's just that the argument should instead be, but Mr. Post Office, me as a customer, I don't want to use it because we're not efficient, you know. Mm-hmm. How are you going to drop my things on a daily basis or same day deliver or two days? So that's going to affect us. And if especially you look at the likes of medicine as well, because you get a lot of people as well using those services mm-hmm. for the delivery of medicine. Can I really rely on you? It's another story. But I think post office was very clever to take that to the court to say, listen, we are not saying be nice to us. All we are just saying, let's implement the law. And if you want to challenge the law, then go and fight with the lawmakers. We as post office, we are just following the law as stated by ICASA that this is what needs to happen. And yes, you still be able to deliver the likes of food because you don't expect the post office to be able to do that. And I promise you, should post office get this one right, then that's when we'll start seeing the post office doing very well. That's when we'll start mm-hmm. to see our post office doing as much as the likes of postal services in the U.S., in Germany, because you check other developing economies as well. Postal services is big there, continuing to make money. But yes, maybe they just have to reach some agreement. How do they accommodate each other? Because at the same time, you don't want to allow post office to do that, and you kill this almost 20 billion rent industry. Maybe they just have to find the metal ground mm. instead of these private guys being adamant and say we're going to continue to do that. Because if they do that, then they're breaking the law. Rather, they take it somewhere else to get the law to be changed, to accommodate them as well, and allow post office space to play. And we hope by then, post office will sharpen you know, they have skills to make sure that they deliver things on time, they don't lose things, people mm. don't get frustrated. Then that way, at least the government will have one state-owned enterprise that at least will start generating money so, and competing yeah. with the private one. So, Makwe, by your assessment, you are suggesting that the law effectively, uh, and your interpretation of, of I guess, the, this particular sort of legislation, that the law effectively prohibits anybody who doesn't have a uh, sort of a postal license to be doing the kind of things that we see our, some of the retailers do, where I can send a package, you know, from here to Lady Frere somewhere in the Eastern Cape, uh, and that can happen over a three-day period, and it can even be a CD for that instance. Uh, that's how small a parcel that we're talking about. You are saying that the post office, by law, should he have an effective monopoly in that space and that they've been sleeping at the toe in you know, allowing some of their competitors to emerge. Definitely, they've been sleeping at the chill because the law allowed them that anything less than one kg, these other guys cannot do it unless if it's food. So a post office should have capitalized on that long time ago to make sure that they kept that you- market. And for the fact that they've been sleeping, you know, then that created opportunity for other players to come and capture that particular market. And unfortunately, as consumers who are mm. used to that market, I promise you, should they take that for public opinion, people will say, no, 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 Mr. Post Office, mm. we still want to continue with our private guys because these private guys so far have been very efficient. But yes, as they did manage to win a court case, but they got to be interdicted not to proceed. Mm. Because remember they went to court and then the court says, yes, Mr. Post Office, you are right, but the guys interdicted them so that it can get more clarity along those lines. Mm. So I don't think 
or I think maybe the court, when they make the decision this time around, they also have to consider that already you've got a matured industry employing so many people and industries that not just employ people, but mm. also help to create, you know, small business owners because you've got a lot of guys who own three or four buggies who operate in that space as well that has been created by these big companies. So the court also has to be mindful of that, not to kill that particular industry completely. Hey, Marco, I, I feel like you've just given me a case study for my students. Uh, because this, this is a typical example. No, I'm being genuine. I mean, this is a typical example of, uh, you know, a state-owned entity not using the legislative economic rent given to it. Now, now an economic rent, you know, for some of our listeners is, you know, uh, what is often seen as exclusive access, either politically or otherwise, um, you know, to a resource that allows you or I guess a market opportunity, in this case a monopoly in sure. that segment of the market that allows you to accumulate without any competition. And effectively, you've got a post office here that's got no money in the kitty that is sitting on a massive rent opportunity and they're not doing anything about it. Yeah, that's tough. And not just not doing anything, that they still want us to bail them out. Mm. I, I mean, I think this is a critical... I remember having a chat with Mark Barnes and I said, you know, Mark, for me, there's a lot of wastage at the post office. Uh, one of the first elements of it is that there's all of these kiosks and you'll, you'll find if there's 15 kiosks, there's only two, two people manning two kiosks. Um, sure. and, and, and I think there's so many revenue generating opportunities from agency fees and intermediary fees that the um, post office could be earning that it isn't earning. Um, and I think one of those areas is with the emergence of e-commerce, you know, the shipping mm. of goods across borders, um, you know, and uh, even, I guess, uh, what we're seeing now in the courier systems within towns. So me sending you, Mark, whether in your offices in Santon, something. Uh, even that is an opportunity. And I think, you know, we're failing. Even in the rural areas, mm. you know, I mean, you check the vast network that the post office has. They're not using that, you know. They could have just made good money out of this whole thing. I mean, they were just busy fighting and doing it as an argument to start paying the Sasa grants. Mm. But before even those the Sasa grants, the guys could at least, maybe, let's say they were not going to make super profits, but at least something decent to sustain themselves, because that should be enough. Monopoly, you don't have to make super profits, you know, you just make enough, you know, to be able to give that uh, essential service, and more importantly, to sustain yourself as an entity. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one we're going to have to unpack, and uh, I certainly hope we can catch up with the uh, executive committee there at uh, at uh, the post office because I think as a country we want to understand. I mean, you know, many of the people who stand at queues at the start of every month at the post office receive shoddy service in many cases and in some cases I must say yes, receive good service. I mean, I have been to post offices where I've received very, very good service. So, so I must hey, generally manual. Hey, man, you don't think problem, manual. Yes, manual. problems. There's our forms, Mark. <laughs> no, there's our forms. You want to know form. I mean, who goes there to buy stamps still? So I think there's a lot of question marks. And I also think they're sitting on a lot of real estate that they could be yeah. realizing some value on. And uh, yeah. I know many young entrepreneurs who are interested in creating resource centers off of that prime real estate, well-located, uh, but it's just sitting there wasting away or in most cases really under uh, underutilized. But Makwe, the other story I wanted us to take a look at. Hey, PPC, Baba. Huh? Now, I know, I mean, they, they had a lot of uh, issues there with their gearing and uh, there's been some covenants that 
Uh, I guess uh, they've now committed themselves to, I think it's two times the uh, EBITDA uh, by way of, uh, you know, uh, the gearing or target gearing level that they're looking for. Um, and, and I guess in a business like that, Mark, where my first question is, what do you define as core and non-core? <laughs> yeah, that was the question for me. That line in cement, come on, it's a very thin line. I mm. thought it's you know part and parcel, you know, when it comes to line in cement. But I think maybe to simplify this thing, you know, your EBITDA is simply your operational profit. Mm. So it makes sense that people should make money from continuing operations. So if you generate sufficient operational uh, profits, so you don't want your debt to be more than two times that, which is only fair, I guess. But I think for existing shareholders, as much as the guys manage to sell stuff, but it should be good news in the sense that, you know, when you have to do a right issue, this is a company which is sitting with a debt of over $5 billion, with a market cap of just a mere over $4 billion. But the problem here is right issue in their nature are very dilutive, meaning you're going to start having more shareholders who have to share on that small pie when it comes to profit. So hence, it will affect your earnings and your profits. Hence, at the back of those news, at some point we saw the share price going up. Mm. I think yesterday it was up nicely, 9%. And even towards the build-up of this whole thing, at some point it was up 30% because at least the guys don't have to go into the market to the existing shareholders to try to raise more money. And if I'm not mistaken, the right issue was supposed to be anything around $750 million. So if they're going to use $500 million of that money, you know, at least it takes them some way. But for me, the big elephant in the room continues to be the issue with the DRC business. So for now, yeah, we take it as they say. Apparently, lime is not a core business I when it comes to a cement maker. But as well, don't forget, the guys did well because of lockdowns, there were some bottlenecks, there were some constraints. Mm. They couldn't. They had an advantage because we didn't have the imports coming into the country. Hence, we saw their sales cement doing so well. But I guess, you know, yeah, I mean, the old company known as Pretoria Portland Cement, um, you know, PPC, uh, you know, this path towards de-gearing, I mean, uh, it often, I guess, on the one hand, includes rejigging maybe the, the terms on which uh, you borrow and renegotiating some of that debt, recapitalizing some of it in some cases. Uh, but in this particular instance, I guess uh, a lot of asset disposals as well. Um, and I, whenever this happens, I'm always interested in some of the other stakeholders that are very far from the deal table. Um, and the implications, you know, that uh, disposals of this kind would have for them? It will, because remember, you are selling lime business as an example, which was profitable. So if, say, it contributed 20% towards your profits, then it means that 20% is off. But mm. it can be cancelled out by your finance cost, because you use that money to pay off debt, which was probably maybe finance cost were costing you anything around 22%. So at least you are better off that you are losing that profit, but at the same time you are saving when it comes to your finance cost. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, after they've got the gearing right, the guys will go out again into the market to try to acquire some of the assets that are cash generative, or they'll try to make sure 
that they continue to grow organically. And so far as it stands, the guys have been making good sales from the uh, from the cement, you know, so that's a plus for them. But the question is, is it sustainable mm. when you start having this competition coming into the country? And here you are talking about a company that at some point the share price was over 37 rents. Now you're talking a share price of just around or over 3 rents or so. Makwe, before we let you go, um, I guess a quick one here on, um, you know, a very interesting story that's come through here. Um, and uh, we caught up last week with some of the workers at that distribution center that's owned by the Spa Group out in Gabecha. Uh, and they had been on a strike, I think, then for around five weeks or so. It seems the strike has been called off. Um, and I guess... Um, yeah, I mean, yes, the strike might be called off, but uh, the uh, contest uh, seems to continue because the company is taking some of the workers who were involved in the strike uh, to court. But it seems, I guess, the main issue around bargaining and also uh, some of the uh, demands uh, of the workers in the main have been met here. Yeah, but, you know, those guys, I don't know what they're trying to do. I mean, how do you move guys from earning based on productivity? I mean, that's the way to go, to encourage people to work as hard as they can. The more they produce, then the more they get money. Then you take them to a fixed rate. And now it's a question of you don't even want to go to the bargaining council to start talking, you know, because bargaining council, I think that should be the right way to go, not just for them, but for any industry. Mm. And yes, they're right. I mean, when people are on strike, guys, there are emotions there, you know. People are just fighting for their stomach. There are some of the things we are not encouraging them that they'll do. But hey, can we just be lenient that why did those things happen in the first instance? It's because the guys went on strike. Mm. But for what? Mm. Because of you not wanting to talk to them. And we're not encouraging that people should do wrong things when they're on strike. But hey, going forward, mm. if really these people mean it, maybe they need to cancel this whole thing that people keep on saying that our most important asset are our people. Because people just say it, but they don't action that. Mm. We shouldn't be having an issue. And yeah. I think maybe that has to be cancelled out that please, this is your most important asset. Sure. Please take care of it. And okay. at the Mark same way. time, we expect workers also to be reasonable as well.